0: I brought these down for you. I was going to hand this off to you if you wanted to do that. So that's fantastic. So that's okay. great. You ready for me to go on up? Okay. Whoops. let me drop stuff as I go. Hello, y'all. Good morning. I am very glad to be with y'all this morning. I'm highly caffeinated and highly favored. Um, isn't that a verse somewhere? Shouldn't it be? Yeah. You can turn off the monitors up here if you want, so that I'm not giving you all feedback. I'm a little loud, I know. <laughs> Ooh. Allison, what did you do? This music stand? Left? I didn't. Kind
1: of sure,
0: sure you didn't. Sure you didn't. I got it. Never mind. Never mind. I'm fine. I'm totally fine. <laughs> this monitor is still on up here. I don't know if you can. Here, I can scoot over. How's that? I just don't want you all to have a lot of feedback coming at you. Oh, you moved it. That's what's different than last night. Okay. Well, I'm Julie Lyles Carr. I'm thrilled to be with y'all here today. I am from Austin. Allison is my neighbor. We've both lived to tell about it. Um, I'm so glad that she and Felicia are here today. And I am so proud of Debbie and all that she has done, her group getting everything together. Congratulations to y'all for putting together such a beautiful event.
1: Absolutely.
0: And Sherry Winner's running sound and running lyrics for us. She and I go to church together, and I'm glad to look up and see her smiling face. She's probably tired of hearing me talk. She gets to hear me talk a lot, but I'm glad you're here today. Wanted to bring a couple of things to attention for y'all. I'm going to pass these out real quick. Where did those little helpers go? They were so cute. Oh, the grandbabies left. Okay. Thank you, Sherry. Allison, do you mind? Do you guys mind helping? We have coming up next week, if you're in this region, we have a MRS coming up. Which is going to be a lot of fun. We have a new venue at our particular church. How many of you heard of Phillips Pregen Oh yeah. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. So Randy Phillips is our pastor, and so we we get access to some really fun things that happen because of Randy's connections and his world in the Christian music. And maybe it's that
1: microphone I'm hearing. Yeah,
0: I Am yeah. I just blasting y'all out? Nope. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> And so, we have a new venue that's an amphitheater, and it's beautiful, particularly this time of year. Now, in July, it was blazing hot, right, Allison? It was blazing hot at the amphitheater. But now, for our big first women's event that we're gonna do at the amphitheater, it's gonna be awesome. And so, we have Anita Renfro coming. How many of you are familiar with Anita Renfro? The mom song, she's hilarious. She's coming, and we have Ellie Holcomb, who is just soulful and wonderful. And then, I'll be bringing the keynote and part of the work that I do is I helped found and I run a nonprofit called Legacy of Hope Austin and what we do within this region and then also now in Nashville Tennessee is we provide performance and art instruction for children with special needs In our to dance to dream program we have tonight to dream which is a respite night date care night that is run by a certified pediatric RN who specializes in children with special needs because part of the research I did I found that parents of children with special needs divorce at a 90% rate and so what we want to try to do is provide some kind of just oasis in the middle of a month and give them those parents a chance to get out and have specialized care if their child has special needs and then we also have just launched to ride to dream which is therapeutic horseback riding with a guy that we go to church with and we're excited to see what happens with that program as we move forward and so that night at immerse to dance to dream will be performing and it is an absolute magical thing to see these kids get to take the stage to get to experience what it's like to perform and be involved in the arts And so we would love to have any of y'all out who can come it's very fun you'll also see on that other flyer there are some other dates coming up of different events and we'd love to have y'all come as well and be our guests so just know that that's coming up several of y'all last night were here how many of y'all received i call this my newest sonogram picture i'll explain that in a minute does everybody have these for taking notes no we have people who don't have it okay can y'all just kind of pass and send back y'all good with that okay pass and send back and you can take notes on the back of it but what that is is in the realization of a very long time dream the Lord opened a door for me to um, find a publisher for my first book and Zondervan's gonna be releasing this book in 2016 it's called raising an original and it is about how to raise your children in their individual bents and gifts and talents so that when they launch from your house they know what their purpose is in god's kingdom and they know how to find that raising them according to their individuality raising them according to the way that god made them so individual and so that is coming out in 2016 i say that this is my ninth baby this right here it's the longest pregnancy i've ever had been really really long and on the back are some uh, areas that you can take some notes and you'll find social media those of you who were here last night be sure and jump on Instagram and Facebook let's tag each other so I know where you were here and let's take pictures today so that we can stay connected long after this weekend and we can continue to encourage each other and love on one another well one of the things that people seem to find uh interesting actually i find it fascinating still my husband and i have eight kids so this is this is our brood and i told the girls last night um yes they're all ours yes i birthed them all no i didn't have any c-sections i don't know why people want to know that um we do know what causes it as i told them last night we figured that out um, we do have cable people think that has something to do with the number of children you have I don't know but here's the crew our oldest is Madison she'll be 25 next month then McKenna she's the director of to dance to dream the nonprofit that we have then justice isn't he cute he's so handsome he's almost 19 and he's single I'm just saying so you good Christian girls um, this is Macy she's my 17 year old this is Jerris he's 14 journey who's 12 and the twins are eight mercy and Jacob mercy and Jacob so when you are raising this size family your choices for vehicles are rather (laughs) limited and so I don't you know I I have to be careful I don't want to say anything to make y'all jealous and to covet I want to be really careful but you know I drive a 15 passenger van it's hot super hot you should see the teenage guys when i go driving by they're like oh look at the 15 passenger van when i pull up and somebody needs to valet the car for in a tight parking lot i always tell the little parking lot attendant i'm like no look i know you're going to be tempted to take it out and hot rod i understand but you know my husband has a, a nice little sedan that sometimes he lets me take and pretend like I'm a normal person <laughs> and my son Justice was getting ready to take a young lady on a date and he said hey dad can I borrow your car and Mike said oh I don't know if I want you borrowing my car I don't know I don't know why don't you take your mom's van And I looked at Mike and I went you're gonna put my teenage son with a teenage girl in a vehicle that basically has four couches I like <laughs> what <are you> thinking? <laughs> Mike said, take my car. I was like, thank you, thank you. But should you ever find yourself in the position of driving a 15-passenger van? Squad goals, right? Really? Oh, these are my girls. Amen. Amen. Oh, hey, I see you, I see that hand. I see that hand. These are my this is my tribe. Wow. Okay. So when the rest of you catch up to us, um, vehicular-wise, let me give you a tip when you get ready to clean out your 15 passenger van I want you to go to your garage and there's a yard implement that you have so first go to the 15 passenger van recognize the need nothing can get filthier than a 15 passenger van I kid you not there's all these secret nooks and crannies and rows and you don't even really know what's going on back there and you don't want to know but you go and you open the back doors and you get your yard rake and you go under the seats, there's there's a technique, okay? You go under the seats and you reach as far as you can and then you pull. And this debris field comes and lands and then you do it again and you pull. And then you discover that that whole thing that you thought might be a myth on social media about McDonald's hamburgers, it's not. They come out perfectly preserved. From under the van seat. I mean, I'm talking pristine, gorgeous. It, it's amazing. I mean, they're beautiful. They should be museum pieces,
1: really. really.
0: Shoes that you thought got raptured. A lot of naked Barbies. I'm not sure what's going on in the van there are a lot of undressed Barbies in my van Maybe I need a security camera so the next time you're in your 15 passenger van you need a way to clean it remember garden rake I need my own HGTV show don't I how to survive the 15 passenger van how to survive the 15 passenger van well last night we began to talk about what it means this key verse that we're gonna be focusing on this weekend in Judges 717 follow my lead and for women today we have gone through a long season and it concerns me that we in the church have not been active about teaching leadership to women half the church that we haven't taught leadership to now some of you your radar just went off because you think i'm going to talk about a woman's role in the church and a woman's role in marriage and and all that and i'm not I'm talking about all of us who follow Jesus Christ, who are to be imitators of him. And let me tell you one thing that Jesus Christ is. He's a leader. He's not some kind of thermometer that just registers and just kinda takes reaction from what the culture is. He is a leader everywhere he goes and is represented in our lives. He is the one who sets the tone. He is the one who sets the level of compassion in the room. He is the one who sets the level of grace in the room. And just as we are told that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, the mandate on us is to be imitators of Him. And what He presents is strong leadership now where we get spooled up where we get confused is we tend to think of leadership as only that 10% category of people the people who have the C-suite the people who are gonna be president of this or pastor of that or elder of this or the financial guru of that psychology today tells us that those positions that we have traditionally thought about as leadership positions are only held by about 10% of people but what happens when everyone understands that everyone leads and everyone follows. Well, what the secular world has started to figure out within a business construct is that when everyone within an organization understands that they all have leadership responsibility and leadership capability, everything in that organization rises because everyone feels the responsibility. Everyone feels and acts upon their enthusiasm about the mission of that organization everyone begins to say how can i be someone who helps solve issues who helps set the tone who accepts responsibility and yet for some reason i think within the church we've just gotten so sidelined at times on woman's role and what that means and who's supposed to be a leader and all that kind of stuff that we have forgotten that regardless of title or position that 10 percent right we are to all lead in this way. That older definition of leadership, which is those positions and those titles, that's one form. But leadership distilled to its basic, to its best, is when you use your influence for something that you are passionate about. Are you passionate about the message of Jesus Christ? Then you should be using your influence, your influence in the form of your leadership to help win others to him. That's what it means to lead, regardless of title, position, what your church thinks about what women can and can't do, and on and on and on. Just table that for a minute. What are you doing to use your influence for the kingdom of God? Because that is leadership. How we use our influence. I told the women last night, some of you were saying, well, I'm just a grandma, like I don't have you know, a place that I'm going to be influential. Mm -hmm. Really? I mean, how many of us have grandmas that we still quote? How many of us have grandmas that we still make the pot roast like she did? How many of us have life lessons and things that we learned from grandma? Because of her influence on us, because of her leadership on us. Well, I'm just a mom. I'm just surrounded by these little knee biters who seem determined to undo everything that I'm trying to do. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a leader. Oh, you are. Because you have influence over those lives. You have influence on what their path will be as they move forward. And those kids need to know that you're a woman who has determined, I'm gonna be the kind of person that I can say, follow my lead follow my lead as i imitate christ which is what paul said to the early church the imitators of me as i imitate christ we talked about gideon because that verse that key verse in judges 7:17, 7, comes from gideon saying to this little army that he's amassed follow my lead and we're like wow isn't that amazing i mean he started out and he's a little you know he had this little situation that was really rough and and they were just having a tough time in israel and And the angel comes down and says, hey, mighty warrior, and Gideon's like, yeah, and here's here's some fleece, and okay, now I'm going to go. Follow my lead. But there was a much more intricate progression that occurred with Gideon to get to the place that he could say, follow my lead. Gideon did not see himself as a leader at all. And when God comes and says to him, I am with you, Gideon has, oh, I don't know, quite a few excuses, theological questions for God, I don't know, I mean, if you're with me, then how come, and what's going on? And, and then Gideon goes, well, i tell you what, I'll make kind of a little sacrifice. And God requires him to make a much larger sacrifice, to deal with the sin and his family's background, to deal with the things that are limiting him from being the kind of leader that he can be. And God has to teach him how he's going to use the influence God has given him in order to lead a nation. And not only this you know how we think about well, Gideon great warrior big leader but you know God keeps shrinking the group that he's going to be influencing right it's not that Gideon went out and he like developed some kind of synagogue of 15,000 people with Uzis and they went after the enemy God keeps whittling down to this group who Gideon interacts with has relationship with and influences to go bring Israel into a new season because Gideon uses influence as his leadership you know we'd say that there are people who are natural born leaders don't we and really what we're talking about is that ten percent those people who seem to attain a certain position natural born leadership is a great thing I think there are people who are gifted for it they just naturally know how to control a situation they just naturally know how to motivate and inspire people you know, I don't know if I would say I was a natural born leader. I am the only daughter, the only sissy of two younger brothers. So, you know, somebody had to control them, right? I mean, I was... And we had several incidents in our childhood. I have a brother named Rob who's 21 months younger, and I have a brother named Dave who's almost six years younger. And we had several incidents that went a little something like this scenario. Um, my dad literally was a rocket scientist, and so. You know we knew a whole lot about space capsules and small you know little vehicles interstellar vehicles and so I uh, looked at a dryer and it seemed to me centrifugal force dryer similar size and shape to a space capsule am I correct yes yes I'm correct and so I said to Rob my next younger brother wouldn't it be cool to put Dave in the dryer and, you know how they put all the astronauts through those NASA tests and like I mean Dave could be an astronaut we don't know and we just need to do some testing to see if Dave would be great and so Rob said okay I'll go tell him to get in the dryer I said I think that's an excellent idea Rob goes to Dave Dave get in the dryer Dave goes okay we put Dave in the dryer now one lesson I do carry from my childhood is that I should have had my brothers sign uh, you know these documents that would say non-disclosure they, we needed some NDAs some non-disclosure agreements with my brothers because we ran the testing on the cool cycle I'm not stupid and and Dave survived I feel like oh check possible astronaut material project done moving on except Dave hello happens to mention it at dinner with me big eyed but i've put a buffer between myself and what happened right because rob's technically the one so my dad always had this interrogation technique take this one tell me the whole story dad's like i was just playing legos and then rob said get in the door and i said okay So my dad then separates Dave out, calls Rob in. Rob, what happened? Well, Sissy and I were talking, and she said that Dave might have astronaut qualities, and so she told me to tell Dave to get in the dryer. Thank you very much. Julie. Yes?
1: Did you you
0: need me? I was was praying. Um, What happened? (laughs) I'm sorry, to what are you referring? (laughs) The dryer thing. The, uh, is that that metal box
1: (laughs) in the garage?
0: The long and the short of it was... I got spanked for coming up with the idea, oh, yeah. Rob got spanked for executing the idea, okay. Okay. Dave got spanked for being stupid enough to go along
1: <laughs> with the idea. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a
0: triple hit.
1: Yeah. Everybody went down for their yeah, part yeah. in the
0: dryer astronaut training program, <laughs> very short lived research project from my days. Living near the dry lake bed in California. Natural born leader, maybe. You know what I'm most interested in? Jesus born leaders. People who use those places of influence that they have to help people improve their lives. To help draw people and direct them to Jesus. Not just coming up with schemes and plans and the next big thing and talking whoever they can into it. Directing people into a better path of life. Tim Elmore says everyone is leading and everyone is following. We're all leading somebody, even if it's subtle. Even if it's that we're just leading our neighbor to be terribly irritated because of the chihuahua in our backyard that yaps all the time, that influence is leading somebody, and all of us are following in some way. All of us have somebody, and we're going to be unpacking this tomorrow morning that we continue to follow their opinion, what we think their emotion is, what we think their drive is. We all we all lead and we all follow business insider says that what it means to lead by influence is that we believe in what we're trying to do and we are contagious in our enthusiasm for it i have seen people who really believe in getting rid of all gmo foods and they are contagious in their enthusiasm for it i have seen people who really believe their pastor should be taken out And they are contagious in a church in the way they use that influence. And I have seen people who without hardly much of a word at all really believe that God is good, really believe that we are called to love people and be compassionate, and without much of a program or a cute saying or anything else are contagious in the way that they can change a room because of their influence, because of their influence. George Barna is someone I've had the pleasure of working with a couple of times. He's the guy, he is an absolute numbers geek. He just loves gathering data and understanding what it means in the church today. He's a fascinating man. He's actually, you would think he'd be very dry. He's actually hysterically funny and a wonderful conversationalist. And his research has been really helpful for those of us who are really passionate about the church and we want to see it grow and we want to understand the trends and the things that are happening within the church of Jesus Christ. And one thing that Barna has begun to find is that for years and years, we really felt like you could just count on the women to be the ones who would show up for church, right? I mean, maybe the guys were in and out, and maybe the guys were involved, and maybe they weren't, and maybe Promise Keepers kind of expanded the numbers again for a while, and then maybe it kind of retracted. But you could always count on the women. The women were always going to show up. Sisters, that's changing. Women are not staying in the church. Women are leaving the church in record numbers. We're going to be talking this evening about who am I leading, and we're going to be talking about some of the trends that we're seeing. But one thing that Barna has uncovered that I think is really critical, we have a responsibility as Jesus's women to help lead other women and show them how to lead. Because what is beginning to happen in this generation is women come into the church and they encounter a generation of women who are like, I don't know. I call the the somebody should do something about that syndrome. I don't know. I mean, I just I mean I don't like that we don't have this or that at the church. You know, the church should do something about it. I don't know. Something should do somebody should do something about that. And instead of training up a generation of women to know how to activate, to know how to use their influence to know how to be contagious for Jesus, we seem to have lost that art. And so what's beginning to happen is we can't count on anymore that women are just going to somehow magically come through the doors of the church because we're not being contagious. Because I suspect that we struggle to passionately believe about what we're doing when it comes to following Christ allison knows me and knows me well so yes my daddy was a rocket scientist she brought me a gift yesterday i squealed like a little girl who's a tomboy i guess is the only way to say it this is a 1978 star trek os series jigsaw puzzle that's never been opened i know i mean this and kendra scott earrings and i'm good to go like i'm so happy Star Trek was a huge part of my family of origin, of our vernacular. My brothers and I, I mean Star Trek, Star Wars, all of it, because We were watching my dad develop systems that were actually doing some of the stuff futuristically that was going to be here. And I love Star Trek. And one of the things about the developer of Star Trek and all of that series, he tackled a lot of social issues, actually, in Star Trek. When you go back and you really look at what Star Trek was about in terms of the series, it really delved into a lot of modern issues, which was really interesting. So Star Trek OS, who understands what that means? I got... See, these people are my people.
1: 50 Passenger Van and OS. Tell them what OS means.
0: Original series. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Star Trek Original Series. So I, you know, I loved Next Gen. Jean Luc Picard. Who does not love that man? Come on. But I loved also Voyager. Star Trek Voyager. Because of Catherine. Janeway. There she is. Catherine Janeway. You know, they decided to tackle what it would be to have a woman at the helm of this ship. And there was actually a lot that went into the development of her character. Because the developers of the series knew it would be a sellout to just make her masculine, right? I mean, just to make her, like, interact like a guy. There should be something unique about having a female captain of an interstellar starship. And so what was beautiful in the development of Captain Janeway was that she was truly female in her character. She was compassionate. She had a way of activating team play that was beautiful, that was different than some of the other captains of the Star Trek series. She would take down that severe bun and she had this gorgeous auburn hair and all of a sudden she was va-va-boom, a girl again. (laughs) And so it was so powerful to see a woman in sort of a male-dominated series, and to unpack what worked and what was fascinating. But wor- what worked first and foremost is she used her influence as a woman to fill that role. Sometimes, as women, we think if we get the position, then we'll have the influence. Let me tell you, I have worked in male-dominated businesses my whole career. I was in radio, television—that is one chauvinistic, fun place to be. And I was in that, and then I went into ministry. Those are male-dominated areas. And can I assure you that if I had gone in trying to use my influence in a male way, it would have been a train wreck. Because, newsflash,
1: I'm not a guy. <laughs>
0: I'm not a guy. And God imbued women with some unique characteristics in which we can use our influence if we know where to look. So we're going we're to put some tools in the toolbox today when it comes to things that you engage in your own life to influence others to follow Jesus. I was talking with Debbie about what my next writing project is going to be, and it's, it's already actually launched. I'm really passionate about this particular story. While this other book is nonfiction on parenting, this book that I'm working on presently is fiction, and it is on the person of Abigail abigail from first samuel 25 she has absolutely captured my heart she is a fascinating female leader abigail her name means my father's joy my father's joy and as I read about what she does and how she does it I can imagine the smile of God over her life so the backstory is there's this guy named David and he seems to have some promise coming up in him but at the moment he doesn't really own anything he's already had a wife leave him he is wandering the desert and basically he has developed a very interesting shakedown business what he does and if he had done it in boston if he had done it in chicago back at the turn of the century we would have called it a mob but what he does is he goes into the desert he's like oh you've got a nice herd of sheep I tell you what for a fee I will make sure nobody bothers your (laughs) herds and he does this now he does offer protection for these different flocks of sheep for the for the nomads who are in the area running their flocks of sheep and goats he does provide protection from them because remember Israel in this time there's constant well I say this time and today there are constant border wars going on all the time groups that are coming in and marauding and on and on and on so David and his married band of men are constantly going around protecting different groups whether they've been asked to or not they're going in and protecting so there's a very successful guy named Nabal Nabal and he has several flocks. And David's group goes in, and they begin to protect, and they begin to check around and make sure things are okay. And then comes the business pitch. Well, all right, I've been taking care of the flocks. I've been checking out for you guys. So um, I have an invoice ready, and Nabal does not like this at all. Nabal is furious. If y'all will look in 1 Samuel 25 with me. We're going to start in verse 4, and we're going to read through a big chunk of this story. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time, and when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you, Therefore be favorable toward my young men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Put on your swords. Okay. Any of you familiar in the world of men? This is a pretty typical experience. Guy A, I call it peacocking. What? I didn't ask for your help. Tail feathers go out. Guy 2, just trying to help you out, dude. Tail feathers go out. Two angry testosterone-ridden guys with these bands of men who are following them in one sense it's hilarious it's two kids on the playground fighting in the sandbox on the other hand there are lives at stake (coughs) these two men have each had their egos bruised by the other on nabal's behalf he may be thinking you think i can't take care of my own people and my own are you saying i'm impotent and taking care of things and taking care of what is my responsibility on the other hand david is saying you don't value what i do You don't value the the service that I offer? And both of them have absolutely slung daggers and arrows at one another's understanding of who they are as men in their egos. So one of the servants, after David says, everybody sword up, everybody man up, we are going after. 400 men are going to go with David to go deal with Nabal and his men. Verse 14, one of the servants told Nabal's wife Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us all the time. We were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Let's talk about what Abigail does. Now earlier in the chapter in chapter in verse 3, when we're introduced to Nabal, it says his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, and she was married to a very difficult man. What I see Abigail do in terms of her influence is this. The first mark of a woman leading, the first mark of a woman using her influence is she is decisive. Verse 18, Abigail lost no time abigail lost no time you know sometimes as women we get so wrapped up in discussing the issue over and over and over we're never decisive we're being caught in a loop that is keeping us from leading i mean after you've talked to your seventh mentor slash best friend slash walking buddy about the same issue girl get off the pot or It's time to be decisive. It's time to be decisive. We don't solve problems by talking them to death. They don't die. They just get discussed over and over again. Am I telling you to jump out ahead of the Lord? No, I am not. I'm not telling you to jump out ahead of the Lord. But I am telling you there comes a point. There comes a point when we have to lead, which means we have to be decisive. I'll talk with mamas who are like, these kids, I mean, they're just, they're just so misbehaved, and I just I don't know what to do. And I talk to my mom about how misbehaved they are, and then I talk to my mother-in-law about how misbehaved they are, and then I talk to my neighbor who's single, who only has a Pomeranian about how misbehaving they are. Girl, decide. Decide. Lead. Kids, we're not behaving this way. These are the consequences for this behavior. This is what we're doing. You know, my marriage, I mean, it just, my marriage, I mean, I just, I'm just not attracted to him anymore. Hmm. I'm just not. Decide. Decide you are. Decide to go get the help you need to repair what has gone on. Decide. Be decisive. Don't just keep talking about it. Don't just keep talking about it. Abigail is decisive. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayas of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them all on donkeys. She was the Instacart of her day. Who knows what Instacart is? Praise the Lord. They deliver groceries to your house for a fee that you are willing to pay. (laughs) Abigail, as an influencer, was generous she was generous how many of you have had a situation in which someone that you would consider a leader is stingy they're stingy with their time they're stingy with their affection they're stingy with their wisdom they're stingy with their resources because they are leading from a place of believing that if they have all the toys then everybody will want to come to them they're leading from a place of their possessions That's back into leading from a place, in a sense, of position, of resources, of title. That's not the the leadership we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of leadership that is generous. And by our generosity, says God's the God of all this. He's the God of all the cattle on the hills. My faith is in him. My resources come from him. A woman leader is generous with what she has verse 19 then she told her servants go on ahead i'll follow you go on ahead i'll follow you (coughs) a powerful woman leader also knows when to follow she also knows when to follow why is she sending the servants ahead we're going to unpack that a little bit more And we're going to unpack more about it when we talk about what leadership isn't. But one thing that leadership isn't is a panic attack and a crisis. If Abigail had gone tearing to David without the appropriate steps taken to allow her to approach him as a woman of nobility, as a woman of integrity, as a woman of honor, it could have really sidelined the entire conversation. But because she is a wise leader, she's willing to follow her servant so that the appropriate steps are being taken when she goes to make her request of him. She's a married woman. She has no business approaching this man out in the wilderness without her accountability of partners around her, her servants. And so she knows how to follow wise protocol even as she leads. Verse 19 also says that she doesn't tell her husband Nabal. Now, I know, I know. This is not permission for you to hide the Macy's credit card from your Nabal. That is not appropriate. But what she is showing is that she's using discretion. A wise woman leader understands how to use discretion. Because Nabal at this point is so spooled up, that she knows that to try to engage him in conversation at this point is not going to work. She knows that what is most discretionary at this point is to try to go make peace. She's using discretion because she understands who she's interacting with in terms of the person of Nabal. Sometimes when we want to be women of influence, we actually try to hound our guys, particularly those who may have spouses who are unbelieving, you're trying to hound him into doing it your way based on the ethics and integrity you understand in the Lord. But if he's not there, it's like you're speaking on to him. Yes, one more Star Trek reference. It's like you're speaking on to him. He's not going to get it. We've got to use discretion with who we engage in some of these conversations with. Now check this out in verse 20. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. And She arrives in the middle of this conversation, but here's the other thing that I love about Abigail. Back just a few verses earlier, she had listened and listened carefully to her servants and staff who described what was going on. It would have been very easy for her to go, what, somebody's made Nabal mad? Do you know how hard I work to keep him calmed down? I can't believe this, and freak out. Instead, she makes sure that she understands the full story. She listens to staff and leaders. She evaluates what's going on. You're like, well, that's interesting. That doesn't really apply to modern life. Ah, here we go. You ready for some conviction? So the school principal's office calls you about your little darling. What? I can't believe they're always picking on my kid. I can't believe it. They just never, they're just on his case all the time. Do you have the whole story? Have you taken a moment to really listen to what has happened? We had this thing go down in women's ministry. I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I just turned around and Becky said, da 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 And I was like, ah! (laughs) Really? Do you have the whole story? Are you willing to evaluate it? Are you willing to weigh everything that's being said? It would have been easy for her to have picked a side, and she doesn't. She uses her influence to attempt to come in as a peacemaker. And to make peace, you've got to understand the full context of what is disrupting the peace. And you've got to keep peace your goal verse 21 when Abigail saw David she quickly got off her donkey and bowed before David with her face to the ground she fell at his feet and said my Lord let the blame be on me alone as a person of leadership and influence she accepts responsibility she doesn't go in saying I understand there's a little problem and you need to understand uh, that you know our place is awesome and probably you didn't need to provide this this and this but we appreciate that you she says you know what there's conflict going on and because I'm a leader because I'm a woman of influence somewhere in that world I accept responsibility for what has happened somehow it involves me and I accept responsibility in verse 22 may God deal with David ever so severely by morning if I leave I'm sorry I'm the wrong one 22 that was David griping sorry But what she says is she speaks wisdom to him. Let the Lord, the the blame be on me. Please let your servant speak to you. Please hear what your servant has to say. Her approach to him. Let me tell you a thing or two, mister. No. Accept responsibility. Would you hear me out? Would you just hear me out? And she says, don't pay any attention to this wicked man, Nabal. He's like his name. His name is fool. Folly goes with him. But since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servants have brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battle. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. She reminds David. She speaks wisdom to him. You have a big call on your life. Don't let something little, like this guy getting in a a snit, don't let that sideline what your legacy is. You've got bigger stuff to do. And in her influence, in the wisdom with which she speaks, she helps divert disaster because she's decisive, she's generous, she knows how to follow, she uses discretion, she listens to the staff and the leaders around her and then she evaluates. She accepts responsibility, she speaks wisdom, and then she seizes the opportunity. She ends up making this peace treaty with David, right? Hey, I've brought you some good stuff to eat. Everybody calm down. How about some chamomile tea? All right. (laughs) She goes back to camp. Nabal has been partying like it's Vegas. He's so drunk, she doesn't even bother that night to try to explain to him, look, everything's cool. I got it taken care of. I let us out of conflict. Everything's fine. The next morning, she goes to let him know hey everything's good and he gets so furious that he has some kind of attack and he ultimately ends up dying it sounds like he possibly had a stroke and then he dies within a couple of days David I don't know if it was on eHarmony but he is aware of her change of status and he's like hey (laughs) Abigail think we would be a perfect match <laughs> if you like a guy with some other marital baggage.
1: <laughs>
0: and Abigail gets with her servants and she goes. She seizes the opportunity when it presents itself out of leadership. I love that there is an author for Forbes leadership, his name is Glenn Lopez. And he has written extensively on women and leadership and how powerful and what they bring to leadership. And again, he's not talking about the 10% C-suite corporate office. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the power of women in organizations when they use their influence in powerful ways. And he has several things that read just like a laundry list about Abigail. He says, women are opportunity-driven. This is something that differentiates them somewhat from men. When confronted with a challenge, the women I know look for the opportunity within. They see the glass as half full rather than half empty. Strategic. Women see what oftentimes others don't see. As one of my women mentors told me, a woman's lens of skepticism oftentimes forces them to see well beyond the most obvious details before them. They enjoy stretching their perspective. Three, passionate. While women in general were historically viewed and stereotyped as emotional leaders by men, I believe they are just passionate explorers in pursuit of excellence. Four, entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurship is just a way of life for many women. They can be extremely resourceful, connect the dots of opportunity and become experts in developing the relationships they need to get the job done. Five, purposeful and meaningful. I have found that many women leaders enjoy inspiring others to achieve. They're not as competitive in those situations as sometimes men can be. And traditions and family, whether at home or at work, women are often the glue that keeps things together and that is why they represent great leadership for America's future. And how much more so for the church. How much more so for the church when we use our influence to lead and lead well But, you know, in looking at what leadership is, we do need to hit quickly what leadership is not. What leadership for women is not. I look at the mother of James and John. She goes in and tries to use her influence to get her kids in a better position by ignoring the importance of everybody else's kids who were also following Jesus. It's an inappropriate use of influence. And Jesus calls her out on it. Sapphira. She's trying to influence her position within the early church by looking uber generous, which is one of the traits we want to see in women who lead and lead well, but she hasn't been honest with it. She hasn't mixed that generosity with integrity, and she loses her life for it. To use your resources to try to manipulate is not leadership in God's church. My daughter McKenna is someone who is able to naturally and kind of quietly lead and influence others. She's just had that gift for a long time, but she was laughing as I was putting together this series and she and I were talking about leading and leading women and what it means to be a woman leader and all of those things. And she laughed. She said, you know, I remember being in dance class years and years and years ago when I was really little and there was a photographer who came who was going to take pictures. And she said, so I immediately volunteered that I wanted to be the photographer's helper And she said and I just got everybody lined up and I got everybody you know just shushed up and got their little tutus straight and these are all her peers that she's doing it with so she's just leading everybody she just gets everybody all ready everybody's ready then she goes and she stands by the photographer and he's like now I need you to get in line well I'm I mean I don't think so I'm helping get everybody ready but I need you to get in line now well I just (laughs) but I and she ended up getting in trouble (laughs) because she had forgotten that a huge part of being a great leader is also knowing when to follow, when to follow. And so what leadership is not is thinking you've got to lead everything all the time, or that somehow you're beyond the rules. Have you all ever experienced that? Somebody who claims leadership and then seems to think that the same moral rules the same guidelines somehow don't apply to them because they're a leader that's not godly leadership leadership is not drama now weak-willed souls will follow drama if you have an influential person in your life and you take a lot of their advice and you get sucked into the vortex of their drama get out Someone who leads with drama is not the kind of leader you need to follow. Drama is damaging. Drama is exhausting. Drama opens doors to all kinds of sin. Drama opens up gates of gossip and stuff just pours out. Drama opens up the potential for spiritual abuse. Now, if you're following someone in your world, if you have a mentor in your world who's a big personality, that's fine but someone who's always leading by crisis, be careful. And if you are that person, can I ask you then to take a step back? If the only way that you seem to know how to gather other people around you is by drama, can you go get some healing? Because our lives are not supposed to be crisis to crisis to crisis to drama to drama to drama. We serve the Prince of Peace.
1: The Prince of Peace.
0: Leadership is not control. It is not control. It is not getting everybody to do everything that you want all the time. It is you living for Jesus with compassion and joy and heart and living it so well that people can't help but be attracted to it. It is not about you making everybody do it your way. I don't think you should be wearing that. I don't think you should be saying that. I don't think that's not leadership. Lead by example. Lead by example. It's not manipulative, it's not title, it's not position. It's not position. You know, whether we have a church experience which allows us to have certain titles or certain, you know, struts in the ladder or not. I have hit a place, and thankfully I see the tide turning, but I am telling you for a while, when I had to go out to a luncheon or a dinner at a restaurant with Bible study girls, I just got ready. Because some of those experiences, some of those women were the most rude, hostile, stingy to the wait staff I had ever seen. It was embarrassing. I took a big group of women to a um, women of faith event in a big city here in in the Texas area. We went to a little restaurant down from the venue where this big women of faith thing was being held. It was a tapas restaurant, not topless, tapas, (laughs) tapas. Y'all are bad. I can't believe your minds isn't there. Shame on y'all tapas do you know what a tapas restaurant is it's where you get the little plates and they bring that at different times it's kind of like well for me it's awesome because it's like endless appetizers coming out <laughs> yeah. okay but it's just you know a little little bite of this a little bite of that and so we go to this restaurant this tapas Rock restaurant tapas restaurant <laughs> and we're just talking and enjoying well one of the women in this group takes it upon herself she's getting more and more antsy about the whole experience and she ends up hauling our server in front of all of us and stands up and says, I have worked in food services for years. We are Christian women here for the Word of Faith Conference. This is the worst service I've ever received. And your portions are tiny. Which I'm like, oh my word. Yeah, yeah. She tore into this poor young woman and kept referring to the fact that, we're on a time schedule. We have to get back to that Christian women's conference ready to take a butter knife and just go (laughs) somehow somehow she thought that being out of town visiting for a christian women's event gave her some kind of right to as the leader of our table (laughs) straighten up this woman that is not leadership that is not leadership Will it change somebody's behavior? Mm-hmm. Where there'll be people who be like, Sister knows how to take care of us. I'm going with her. I'm going with her to Applebee's. We're going to get free dessert. I mean, you know, there will be people who follow that. That is not Jesus' leadership. That is not Jesus' influence. It just isn't. Leaders go first and leaders go last. When it's scary, when somebody needs to take a stand, when somebody needs to be decisive, when somebody needs to make the sacrifice, leaders go first. When somebody else has an opportunity to be celebrated, when somebody else has an opportunity to move ahead, when somebody else has an opportunity to do something that they love, then leaders back up and leaders go last. Just like Abigail. She knew when to go first. She knew when to go last. Abigail's legacy to us as Christian women is this she knew how to be the calm in the storm she knew how to be candid in the crisis she wasn't in denial that this was a serious situation and she was capable in the opportunity and she ended up leading and leading well in an environment that was completely testosterone soaked because she understood a woman's influence to lead. Thomas Edison was sent home from school one day with a note that had been sealed and he handed it to his mother and she opened it, looked at it and closed it, and he said, what did that say? And she said, it said that you are so brilliant that what we need to do now is the school just doesn't even know what to do with you. And so I'm going to start teaching you here at home because you are so amazing. Years later, after she passed away, so Thomas Edison was homeschooled. Those of you who homeschool,
1: whoop, whoop.
0: He was homeschooled. He goes on to create all these incredible inventions, failed a lot, succeeded in some really amazing ways. His writings about all that he did are really fascinating years later after his mother died he opened a drawer in her desk and found that note and opened it and what the note said was your son Thomas is mentally deficient he will never amount to anything we can't work with him and we suggest you keep him home but that mama that mama because she was decisive in a moment because she knew who her son was because she understood her call to lead him well, because she understood how to listen to God's purpose and God's encouragement and the notion that God has knit all of us together for a purpose. And she would not allow that testimony over her kid to be the thing to be true when God's word says that we are knit together and wonderfully and fearfully made because of her leadership, because of her influence, You get to read books at night with the light on. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we are a generation of women who want to understand how to lead and lead well. Father, forgive us where we try to do it in a way that is not in keeping with who you created us to be. Forgive us for underestimating the incredible tools that you put into the heart and the personality of a woman. Father, let us know the appropriate times to lead, the appropriate times to follow. Let us know when to be decisive. Let us understand how to grab hold of the opportunities that you present. Father, first and foremost, may we direct people in the path of your Son by our influence. May we be peacemakers. And Father, may we live in such a way that if someone were to try to copycat and imitate our lives, they would be imitating Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
1: Amen. Like me in the seventh grade, so that I told another, I was never, I would work. never be let's a good spell. Mm-hmm. When, when it comes to brains, one by one yeah. Yeah. Like me, me the fell. Super yeah. 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 and I so to get in the locker love it. Out there, and, like
2: jumping up rivers. <laughs> yeah! Um, so, um, if you need one more cup of coffee, yes. yes. or tea, uh, we have some lemonade, iced tea, uh, bottles of water, and some uh, coffee in the dining hall. We have our discussion questions. Um, Sherry's passing them out. Y'all take your discussion questions. You can meet in the dining hall. You can meet in one of the tables. Uh, there's picnic tables all around. Go down to the creek. Um, sit at our blanket. Y'all just get together with, um, with your peeps and um, go over the discussion questions. Take it a little deeper. And um, Okay. Um, lunch will be at noon. And then um, after lunch, we'll have our craft in the craft room, which is over by the zip line or the basketball court. Y'all know that. And then we'll do the zip line um, beginning um, around 2:30. Y'all can come over there and get your harnesses on, and I think we'll probably be zipping around three. <laughs> and my husband has some uh, fellows who have volunteered to
1: catch you. Oh!
2: <laughs> 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 okay, thank you. Bye-bye.
0: You're awesome. Just you no. <laughs> You're awesome. i have at you. <laughs>
1: have a great uh, face. I don't even know what yeah, really, that I